0: Here comes O'Bannon, in and out, down the lane, and the five. Rebounded inside, O'Bannon, who banks it in. Here's O'Bannon, he's been sensational, to the bucket, oh, over time, at 77. Larry O'Bannon, the senior, the last time he will ever play on this court at Freedom Hall, and he. Welcome, welcome, guys. This is the Players' Perspective Uncensored with Larry O'Bannon. Appreciate you guys for tuning in, taking a few minutes out of your day to be here with us on the podcast. Can't say thank you enough. I mean, what better way to start off your week than talking a little bit of sports and a little bit of bourbon? Got a great guest lined up for you guys today. We got Edgar Sosa coming on the show, the New York native and Louisville legend. Going to talk to him about coming up in the playgrounds of New York City thoughts on his career at the University of Louisville because he was someone that dealt with a lot of criticism during his four years and also talk about overcoming what most would have considered a career-ending leg injury. Now, you can also catch us on our new YouTube channel, the Players Perspective Uncensored podcast. Great way for you guys to see how we interact with our guests. Uh, make sure you guys subscribe, rate, leave us reviews. We'd love to hear you guys' feedback on that our bourbon selection of the day for this episode is eagle rare aged 10 years in the fifth floor of the famous warehouse c at the buffalo trace distillery comes in at 90 proof or 45 percent alcohol volume now originally eagle rare was 101 proof bourbon but in 2005 they released a single barrel which is 90 proof and that's pretty much what you find on the shelves today but it's a really popular bourbon and it's hard to find. So more than likely, you're going to have to arrive at the store at the same time the bourbon does because it's not going to be on the shelves very long. But I can't wait to see what this hype is about. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and bring Souls to the podcast and I'll let you guys know about the Eagle Rare here pretty soon. Little bro, Sos, welcome to the Players Perspective Uncensored Podcast, my man. Happy to get you on, man. I know. You're busy man, but, you know, glad you took a little bit of time out of your day to check in with us. Glad to have you on. How's everything been going? Everything good, man. Thanks for having me, man. I'm I'm
1: happy to be here, just uh, taking it easy and enjoying the summer like everyone else, man.
0: For sure, for sure. So the first question that I got to ask you, because it's part of the podcast, is too, have you ever tried bourbon? You know, I know you went to school in Louisville, and, you know, that's yeah. a big thing in Kentucky. You ever tried it?
1: I, I'm not really sure. I know bourbon is big in the Ville. You see it everywhere you go. You see bourbon. I'm not really I don't really remember if I had it or not, but I but I've seen it often.
0: Bet, bet. That's all right. Mm-hmm. That's all right. Next time you come, man, we definitely gotta make sure you get try it tried in so you can remember it for sure.
1: I have to, man. I have
0: to try it for sure. <laughs> so uh let's let's go ahead and dive in, man, and get right to it. So coming up, man, who inspired you to to want to be great, to have that drive to play basketball? Who was somebody that you may have modeled your game after when you were coming up as a youngster?
1: Well, my favorite coming up was uh Stephon Marberry. Uh till this day, uh someone I, I've never met, but someone that's from my city, uh from where I'm from. And I, I did I, I wanted to do everything like Star uh, like Starberry. You know, the the way I played the game, you know, getting tattoos in my arm and everything. He's <laughs> he's just my idol, man. I wanted right. to be I wanted to be just like him growing up.
0: Right, for sure. Yeah. Now I've heard you talk about and, and express about being a dickman baller now i know in mm-hmm. every city there's a playground there's a park that you got to go to to sort of get stamped or certified as a ball player yeah Talk talk to us about dickman park is that like the certification yeah. stamp playground in the bronx oh it's 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 the one place where you have to
1: show yourself and 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 it's become in, in so many ways, kind of like the mecca of streetball basketball in New York City. Even and bigger than crazy. Rucker? At, at this point, I think it will have to be, I think the Rucker will always have the history. It will always have the, you know, the Kobe's, the Dr. J's, Allen Iverson's. But I'm talking about, if you will say who has the buzz the last, I would say, 10 years, uh-huh. you know, Dykeman Uptown definitely has it. And, you know, it just happens to be that that's where I'm from. So that's where I got my start. That's where I built my confidence. That's where I think everything started for me as far as basketball goes.
0: So give me some give me some legends. Who are some some Dickman park legends that have come through in the past few years, man, that are really been certified? I stamped playing at that yeah. park besides well, yourself.
1: O- over the last few years, you will have to say, you know, you know, a good percentage of the NBA All-Stars, you will have to say, you know, Kevin Durant, Mike Beasley you know, Kyrie Irving, just the guys that we all know. But then you have the guys like Husha, JR, Mr. Untouchable, guys that are from around the neighborhood. But if you go around that area, those guys are like legends and kings because it's like they're respected by everyone from the neighborhood for, for playing well in that park. But that the, the park has become like worldwide, whereas a lot of people know about it, but you have the legends, the local legends that are still around.
0: Right, right. This is in every city, man. It's always you know, you have the guys that made it out, but then you have some guys that didn't make it out, but are well-respected and you'd be like- They have
1: everyone's respect. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. So coming up, man, you in high school were one of the best ball players in New York City. You went to Mm -hmm. the famous Rice High School. You were Mm -hmm. one of the top players coming out in the country, one of the top players in the city of New York. Mm You could have went to a lot of schools. You could have went to the Big East, you could have stayed the East Coast. What made you choose Louisville? Well, for one, I knew that
1: for college, I definitely wanted to go away. I wanted to get the full college experience. Like that's something that I stressed, uh, stressed out to my mom and older brother. At a young age, I would say probably like my sophomore year, I was like, you know, I I could. Because at that time, I started getting interest from like and Hall, St. John's, even Syracuse, who's who's three hours north of me. But Mm -hmm. I wanted to get like the full college experience. And it's crazy because, you know, Francisco is from around my way. Right. And he went to Louisville. And when I really, really started, you know, getting into college basketball was the year you guys went to the Final Four. And I remember just watching the Final Four and you guys' style of play and the way you guys made everything look so fun, not knowing how tiring (laughs) it is to play that way (laughs) and how much it takes up of your body. But you guys just made it, like, just awesome. Like, I couldn't believe you could have that much fun playing. And once, you know, Coach Willer came to recruit me, it was kind of like a no-brainer for me.
0: No doubt, no doubt. Yeah. Now, if you hadn't chose Louisville, where do you think you would have went to school? What would have been your second choice if you had not gone to Louisville? My second
1: choice, I think it would have it been Miami just because they just, they kind of gave me the keys. Like when the coach came to recruit me at my high school, he kind of told me like, you know, you're going to be the starter from, as a freshman. You're going to be in the ACC. At that time, Miami wasn't really, you know, as good as they are now. Mm-hmm. But he was like, you know, you're going to be a freshman. You're going to start. I was going to be in beautiful Miami, nice weather. So I probably would have ended up going there if I didn't want that challenge and I didn't want to stay in the Big East and play for the great Rick Patino. I probably would have ended up there.
0: Right. right. Now, when you came in, you came in with a, a talented class, arguably one of right. the top most talented classes in Louisville history. It was yourself, mm-hmm. Earl Clark, Derek Character, and Jerry Smith. You still mm-hmm. keep in touch with those guys a lot to this day?
1: I still. We still talk. We, uh, actually, Earl was over at my house because Earl lives in Florida as well. He was here about a month ago, and, and that was the first time I saw him in so long, and we was chopping it up. But we, we do the group chat thing on IG, and we keep in touch like that. But we haven't got together and been around one another in a few years.
0: Nice, nice. <laughs> now, at your time having the Cardinal uniform on, what were some mm-hmm. of your fondest memories, you know, playing in the Cardinal uniform?
1: Um, I would definitely have to say the shot against Kentucky. That was, that's probably what I'm remembered for the most, probably even Mm. till this day. Like I go play, I've played in so many countries and it's crazy how everyone always remembers me from Louisville. And it's crazy because to me, my college career was just okay. Like I had a pretty good freshman year. I had a solid senior year. My two years in the middle was just okay for me. But it's crazy how much, like, how many eyes we had on us during those years because everywhere I go, like, oh, you're so so that I played at Louisville. And I don't know why it happens, but that's where people always remember me from. And it's especially
0: crazy. in that game, Louisville-Kentucky, like, yeah. you know, living in Louisville and in Kentucky, you can win – I mean, you can lose – Every game of the season. But as long as you win that game right there, (laughs) you've had a successful season. And so to hit a dagger and a game-winning shot of that magnitude, man, in that game, you know, you'll be a legend forever. And so uh, just tell me, going back to that moment, what was going Mm -hmm. through your mind, man? Because it was a tie game, and Mm -hmm. it was like 20 seconds to go. And you brought the ball across half court. And what is Coach yelling to you? Because, you know, Coach is yelling Man. and trying to organize things when you got the ball. You don't yeah. want to call timeout. But he might be saying one thing, but what was going through your mind? Man, I just
1: – and, and there have been, you know, so much going on L.O., during that time because a couple days prior to that, I really had a meeting with Coach P and he really wanted me to, to transfer you know, because, you know, junior year we started off and we were, like, top five in the nation and we were playing pretty good. But I wasn't playing my best basketball. And, um, you know, we we dropped a couple games. I think we lost to UNLV at home and we wasn't we wasn't playing well. And I know I wasn't playing well at all. And Coach P was like, yeah, you know, I want you to transfer. Like, I, I, I no longer know how to coach you. Like, you shoot when you're supposed to pass. You pass when you're supposed to shoot. Like, I don't know how to coach you anymore. And I'm like, wow. And it's crazy because that my junior year, uh, Andre had been starting for for most of uh for most of the season, and he starts me that game. So I'm like, wait. He tells me to transfer, but then he starts me, and that game I was just like, you know, what? I'm just gonna go out there. I was like, I was already asked to transfer. Like, whatever happens, I gotta go home anyway. Like that's really <laughs> what I thought. At that age. Like, right. So you know, we had a good game. We were in control. You know, Kentucky made a. Made a run at the end. They tied it up, and I remember just getting the ball from T. Will. He inbounds it, and he's like, "Um, "Coach Peace, he's supposed to run like a one, a one four pick and roll." And I'm just like, "I'm like, bro, I'm taking this last shot." I'm like, "What's the worst thing that can happen? We we go to overtime." But I'm like, "Bro, I'm taking this shot." So, you know, I, I go to make a move, and I just see the defender keep backing up, and I just stop and just just shot it and it went and it was crazy but I really I really thought in my mind way before I got it like yo I'm taking this last shot.
0: And (laughs) and the crazy part about it he probably still got on you about the shot selection that you took even though you made the shot. For sure for sure (laughs) I already
1: knew if that shot would have missed and something would have happened that we would have lost in overtime that would probably been my last game bro.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right and you know people always ask me about yeah. what I thought about the teams that came after us, and they're like, "How do you think you would have matched up with the 2012-13 team? How do you think you guys would have matched up against the 08-09 team?" And I'm like, "Man, that 08-09 team—that was probably the most talented team that I've seen, yeah. and from my time being um, at Louisville and just keeping up with it, you know, yeah. the time that I got there in the Rick Pitino era." Yeah. That was probably on from a talent standpoint, that was probably yeah. the most talented team, man. And uh I was hurt, man, when you guys lost to Michigan State, but yeah. uh just to see all you guys on that team assemble, man, that was a heck of a job to just to assemble a talented team like that.
1: And I and I tell people not to cut you out, I tell people all the time, like that team, we legit had two starting fives. Like you had two players at each position that were really good. I feel like the second five could have, you know, been at another school and, and probably got into the tournament. I mean, like that's how strong I feel about how talented we were during that year. But yeah, it's a, it's a pity we didn't we didn't go all the way. But that team was stacked from from top to bottom.
0: Right. And so I talked to a lot of guys, especially that played after me. I talked to your Peyton Sivas. You talked to your Terrence Williams. You talked to your Samardo Samuels, mm-hmm. and everybody raves about Edgar Sosa's work ethic. Mm-hmm. And so. I want you to sort of talk to some of the young kids that might be listening because it seems like everybody wants the glory and everybody wants the end results of trying to make it to the professional level. But mm-hmm. the work ethic sometimes is not always there. They want these you know, professional right. dreams, but they don't have the professional work ethic. Talk right. about what drove you and how you were able to get that habit of you know, just putting in that hard work and having it to match the aspirations, because you have to have that work ethic to match the aspirations yeah. that you want. Yeah,
1: I think I think for me, it's always been about like just being humble and just like knowing my weaknesses. Like I think for me, like I'm I'm real, I'm I'm super real with who I am as a basketball player, Uh, and I just try to attack my weaknesses, the things that I feel that. I'm pretty good at. I try to stay sharp in those areas, and then the things that, you know, I could um, get better at, I try to. Like, you know, I always analyze myself. Man, if I can cut down a couple pounds, I do this. If my shot ain't falling, I stay in the gym, shoot extra. But it's always about just wanting to be successful. Like, this is really, when you think about it, this is like, for me, I've never worked a day in my life because it's like I get paid. To do something that I'll do for, that I can do for free, that I would do for free. Right. So for me, it's always just like I want to keep this a reality for as long as I can. So I just always attack it every day, whatever I can do, whether it's an hour of cardio, getting shots up, going for a run, whatever it is, I always try to do it. So then, when my career is over, I can never say, "Man, I could have went harder," and maybe I could have played a year or two more. I just try to put my best foot forward every day.
0: Right, right. And so if I was to ask you, what are the keys to being a great point guard? What yeah. would you say?
1: Um, I would say right now, I think, Uh, L.O., the game is changing so much. It went from when I was in college, the, the point guard had to be more of a distributor and, and, you know, set the offense up. And now you see the NBA, most of the point guards on every team are averaging 20 points per game or higher. For me, what I try to do first is I always want to be a a teammate or a point guard that my guys like playing with. Like, I don't care what I have to do, like, if I have to rev you up, if I have to get in your face, whatever. When the season's over, I I would like my teammates to be like, man, I like playing with Edgar as my point guard. So that's, that's the first thing. And then always keep your shooters and your big man happy. Like, it's okay to, you know, to be aggressive and to take charge, but... I feel like the most important thing for a point guard is just to keep your teammates happy because you have the ball ninety to eighty percent of the time, you know, when right. when you're the point guard. So you can pick your spots of when you want to be aggressive. But I, if if I had to like dumb it down to just one thing, I'd just be like, you know, try to just keep your teammates happy.
0: Nice. Now, since you left the University of Louisville and mm-hmm. since you know Coach Patino's left, have you had a chance to keep up with the cards and and see how they're doing under the new era with Coach Mack?
1: Uh, not the new ever so much, you know. I follow the the, the U of L page. I haven't watched college basketball in so long. I make sure to watch the Kentucky game every year, but after <laughs> like the you know the Peyton class, I've kind of don't watch religiously anymore. Like mm-hmm. I watch Peyton and Russ all the way through. I make sure I I, I watch every one of those games. But now since I'm getting older, a lot has changed. You know, there's a lot of different faces. I haven't kept up with it as much. But, I, but it's just something that, I, that I'm always going to do for my Cardinals, for
0: sure. That's crazy for me to sit here and, and watch and listen to you say, yeah, I've, I've gotten old, I'm a vet in the game. <laughs> man, that's that's crazy. To me. <laughs> man, it's, man, just the other day,
1: I was just... I, and it's crazy, I tell people all the time, like, bro, I remember my first day of college. And I look up now and I'm like, I'm 32. Like, I've been out of college 10 years. It's
0: just time flies, bro. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. So... <laughs> I want to flash back to 2011. Mm-hmm. It was a life-changing moment for you. You're playing for your national team, the Dominican Republic. You guys are trying to qualify for the Olympics. Yep. And you have a life-changing injury, a Paul George type of injury. Yep. I want you to talk about the mental fortitude that it took to come back from that. Because that would have ended 95 to 99% yeah. of most people's careers. Right. And I want you to talk about the mental fortitude it took to come back from that and how it changed you as a player and as a man
1: man it changed me in so many ways like the first thing it did for sure is that it humbled me it humbled me because you know after 4 years of college and you know as a competitor what you always do you always try to compare so man i was my, my first rookie year i was in overseas i was in italy me and aj slaughter was was on the same team we we grew to be great friends mm-hmm. but i didn't appreciate it like I'm out here. I'm living in one of the most beautiful countries in the world. I'm getting paid. I'm, I'm playing a high level of basketball, but in my mind, I'm like, man, I should have made the NBA. Why I'm not in the NBA? Da, da da So I don't know if certain things happen in your life to make you appreciate. But once I did break my leg, it was then that I understood how blessed I was to play basketball for a living. Because now that was gone. I don't have you know the salary coming in. I'm injured now, so it's kind of like starting from ground zero right so it was literally the toughest time of my life like basketball has been everything that I've known up until that point now I can't do that so now it's like who's Edgar Sosa like so that's when I I dove headfirst into therapy I said I'm either gonna come back to be a to be a basketball player and do what I love or I'm gonna just hurt myself trying to because I'm gonna do everything in the book to to get myself back to 100 and it took a lot of time it took times that I said I give up, I'm about to just write up my resume and start working, like it really broke me down, but just to see myself, I had, you know, good support cast, my, my mom always just told me to keep going, to don't quit, my trainer was good, and bro, I just, I kept attacking, and I just saw myself getting better and better, little by little, okay, it doesn't hurt anymore, okay, I could run now, I can jog, like I can play now, now I just have to build my confidence, and just to sit back and look, how how all that happened it it was crazy but it was crazy that that it took like it took so much out of me i love and i felt like basketball was done for me to then put in all the work and go through rehab and therapy and then just see myself back out there in a the uniform and signing a contract it, it it was just everything for me
0: i bet man i bet and so mm-hmm. along that journey because i kept up with it well as well mm-hmm. and i would try to send you a little encouraging Uh, messages because i know mentally Mm -hmm. it's tough man you know and and i can't speak from experience because i've never been there i can only speak from some injuries that have put me down maybe a couple months and how tough Mm -hmm. it is for that so i Mm -hmm. can't even imagine what you went through but i also watched you really develop a relationship with one of our uh, video coordinators and student managers matt morris yeah, and he really helped you through. What did he mean to you during that journey? Because I see, you also seeing that you got baptized as well. Yeah, Matt,
1: Matt was everything for me during that time. I mean, it was my first year uh, out of school, so it's kind of like I didn't have like, you know, that safety net of if something happens to you while you at school. It's kind of like the school takes care for you. You have the community there around you. And when it happened, uh, for me, it was kind of like, okay, like I got surgery. Now I'm like, I'm back home in New York. Like no one ever, like people care when you go through stuff. But at the end of the day, like everyone has their own problems in their own everyday life that they have to go through. So they can care about you. But at the end of the day, you have to be strong within yourself to do the things that you have to do. And Matt just, he was always there. He always called me. He would invite me to the bill to get my mind off of it. He would send me you know, passages uh, from the Bible to read, things that just gave me confidence to to keep me going. And and he's he's been awesome, man. Man's a great
0: guy. Dope, dope. And so now you've been playing professionally for 10 years, man. You've come back stronger than ever. Mm-hmm. What have been some of your favorite places that you've played at around the world?
1: My favorite, I would say my favorite is uh, New Zealand. And let me just say one thing about me is... I've been to these beautiful places, hello, and I, and I appreciate it. But for me, there's no place like home. Like, I go to these places, and I love them, I enjoy them, but I'm always in the back of my mind thinking, I, got, I can't wait to go home, you know what I mean? <laughs> and right. New, Zealand, New Zealand has been that one place where I was like, you know, if something, I don't know, dramatic was to ever happen, and I can't go back to the States, and I had to live somewhere, it would definitely be New Zealand-like. The people are, are 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 beautiful. Like the the culture is awesome, nice weather. So I would have to say New Zealand. Jerusalem is another one as well. That was that was pretty dope.
0: Yeah, I always tell people, man, if if something drastic was to happen and I had to move, I would move to Israel. I yeah, would Israel, Yeah, Israel moved to is Israel
1: beautiful. is beautiful. Nice. It, last season was like my first like full season there, and and it's it's dope. They, everyone speaks English. The food is great. The, the culture is beautiful. I, I enjoyed it as
0: well. Yeah, I, and and. Australia, New Zealand is the one place, man, that I really wanted to go play. I didn't get an opportunity to, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Well, you should go and visit." I'm like, ah, "Only place, only time I'm getting on that twenty-hour flight is going <laughs> right, on to right. work. Otherwise, I ain't taking a twenty-hour flight for vacation." Right, man. man. It but took
1: man. Those i 20 hours, man, <laughs> to <play> with,
0: man. <laughs> so I want you also to talk about playing point guard in the U.S., whether it be the NBA, college, high school. Mm-hmm. It's more so about you know, kind of like a little bit of ISO, but more so about scoring as well as compared to playing the international game as it being more cerebral, playing the pick and roll, really understanding the pick and roll and understanding where the pass was supposed to go. How was that adjustment from you going from playing point guard here to playing internationally?
1: Uh, It was a huge adjustment because when when I first got overseas, you know, I think Coach Pete, uh, does a great job in um, teaching us how to play all styles of basketball, whether you play for a team that gets up and down, a team that pounds it inside, a team that slows it down and play half court game. I've never really had trouble with that because I felt like Coach Pete taught us the game well enough where we can adjust. But um, just being a point guard in the, in, the, in, in the States and in international basketball is different. Because you can score all the points that you want, but if you're not making winning plays, you're you're most of the time we're not going to win at the end of the game internationally. Right. I don't know exactly how that works, but it's just a lot more than scoring when you play the the point guard internationally. You have to set the tone, you have to push the tempo, you have to do so so much. Where I feel as in America, I never played in the NBA, but I feel like you know if if a point guard gets his twenty and ten or his twenty five and ten, I feel like He's done his job. Now, what is the shooting guard doing? What is the three doing? You get what I'm saying? Where as far as an in international, I feel like you got to do a little bit more by setting the tone and being there for your teammates.
0: Now, you've signed a play in France this upcoming season. <laughs> mm-hmm. So with everything that's going on now with the pandemic, with COVID, has your team said anything to you about uh, the upcoming season, about the delays, or is everything still going to go on as planned with no fans? What have they said to you about the upcoming season?
1: Well, they said as of right now, you know, everyone uh, before showing up to, to training camp has to have a, a, a negative uh, COVID test. You have to show negative on your test. And they said as of right now, the season has been pushed back at least uh, a month. So things will start a little bit later. And I think they're letting the fans in. The the arenas are like a 30% capacity. Mm-hmm. So everything is not completely back uh, to 100% normal
0: yet. No. Dope. Well, now we've reached a part of the podcast, my brother, that we call the Burn Proof Segment of Rapid Fire Questions. We're going to get you some yeah. rapid fire questions, man. Don't give it a lot of thought. Just roll with it. Give us your first answer. Let's yeah, do it. More important on the NYC playground to be a score, to have the ability to score, or to have the handle? Score. Got to be able to score. That's more important than having the handle?
1: You got to be a score. I mean, in New York City, you could be the guy to get the oohs and the ahs, but the guys that they're going to talk about in the neighborhoods is the guy that had 40 or the guy that had 55. It don't care how ugly it is, if you did it, or jump shots, or layups, if you could only go right, if you have 50
0: in the neighborhood, <laughs> they're going to talk about it. <laughs> <Bad>. <laughs> NYC Pizza or the Street Hot Dog? NYC Pizza. Pizza.
1: So. It's a legend. It's what is the city is known for. So I'll take that over the hot dog. All
0: right. Favorite place to eat when you go to the ville?
1: Favorite place to eat when I'm in the ville? Sapporos. Sushi spot on, I think. Barstown. Yep. Sapporos have to every time I'm in the ville, I have to go there.
0: That, yeah, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Your mm-hmm. favorite NBA analyst or commentator?
1: I'll go with Mark Jackson. I like Mark Jackson. I like the little swag he puts in his little sayings, hand down, man down. I'll go with Mark Jackson.
0: I agree. I agree. <laughs> Cardi B or Nicki Minaj?
1: Cardi B. Uh, I like them both, actually. But Cardi B has more of the, you know, has, has the flow going right now, so I'll go with Cardi B.
0: Okay, a little bit more of the Spanish flavor, too. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. This is a question we call franchise sign, and wave. We're going to go New York point guard edition. So you got to mm-hmm. franchise a guy that you're going to build your team around. Mm-hmm. You got to sign a guy that you're going to keep on the team, and you got to wave a guy that you just can't keep. Got it. Kenny Anderson, Stephon Mulberry, mm-hmm. Mark Jackson.
1: Oh, I'm going to franchise Stephon Mulberry. I am going to sign... I'll sign my Ma. I'll sign Mark <laughs> Jackson. I'll sign Ma- and I have to wave Kenny. I love him. Oh, you're
0: gonna wave Kenny Anderson?
1: I know, I know, bro. I know. But Stephon Murray, gotta get the franchise. One of my favorite players all time. And then Mark Jackson, I just I gotta, I got I can't wave
0: Mark. I can't wave. Oh man, that's tough. <laughs> that's tough. Yeah. Um yeah. I man, that, that's tough. I don't even know how I would do that when yeah. I I guess we depending on which level we talking about. If we talking about yeah. high school, I'm going to franchise. But I, since we we probably talking about professional level. Yeah. Man, that's, that's tough. I'm, I'm probably going – man, that's, that's tough. I'm going to sign Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson is okay. going to be on my team because he's a winner, lasted a long time in the league. I got to keep him. But that means I got to mm. waive Kenny Anderson or Mulberry. Mulberry was probably a better talent – Mhm. but Kenny Anderson was nice man left handed too and
1: if you're talking about
0: franchising you have to build your team around I'm probably going to franchise Kenny Anderson sign Mark Jackson I, I probably got to wave Marbury I'm probably going to get killed for that <laughs> yeah See? I, <laughs> and I feel the same
1: way it's crazy bro, because Stefan Marbury is one of my all time favorite players but then you think about it. when you franchise you want a point guard that's does a little bit of everything. I think Stefan is more scoring minded, maybe. I don't yeah. That one's tough, bell. Yeah. That was tough. That was tough.
0: <laughs> Your childhood crush growing up. Rev run's uh daughter.
1: Angela Simmons? Angela Simmons. Wow. <laughs> I was in love with her in high school, bro. Yeah, Angela Simmons. Yep. Okay. Toughest person you ever had to guard. Toughest person I've had to guard by far. Ty Lawson, Uh NCAA, was that 08 year, sophomore year? Yeah, bro, Uh fast, explosive, can't really give him too much room because he can shoot it as well. You play up on him, he's just so strong and fast and low to the ground. To this day, uh Ty Lawson.
0: Yeah, he's tough and he's strong too. Yeah, man. Last question, favorite hoop shoes of all time that you like to hoop in? Nike Kyrie 1s. To this day, I try
1: to find them, and they're a little bit rare, but for me,
0: the most comfortable and light shoe ever. I think the most comfortable shoe for me, man, my favorite shoe was the uh, Hirachi 2K4s. Yeah, with the strap across the top. Yeah, with the strap across the top. Oh, man, I love them. I love them. So, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast, my brother. I appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your day to come through and join us, man. It's a pleasure to see you. You're looking good. Uh, best of luck on the upcoming season, man. Do what vets do, get out there, get buckets, make your team win, and uh, just be great, man. Like you always have been.
1: I appreciate you
0: at Lo for having me on your show and uh, thank you so much, bro. And now for our final review of our bourbon selection of the day, which was Eagle Rare. Uh, bourbon, that's pretty hard to find. We always start off our review with nosing the bourbon and it comes off pretty soft on the nose. Had some vanilla and wood aroma in there. That was the first thing that I noticed. I also picked up a little bit of tobacco in there as well. Now, to the sip, the energy was pretty solid. It definitely introduced itself to you. Had a good texture to it. You could feel the oil bodies that stick to the tongue. It sort of helps you pick up the notes on your palate. Now, on the palate, it was a good amount of oak wood flavor. Definitely a Large amount of spice in the back of the mouth. Also had a a hint of chocolate in there with it. Carried some heat in transition. I'd probably say about a 7 out of 10 on the heat scale, which you sort of come to expect with most rye bourbons. Now, coming out of the warm transition, the aftertaste was sort of shortened on the dry side. You know, there was a late return of the tobacco flavor that you really picked up on the initial smell, but wasn't much there in the aftertaste. But still a quality bourbon, especially for the price point, 45 to 60 bucks. But that's if you can find it. Now, I'd be interested to hear you guys' thoughts on the Eagle Rare, if you can find it in the store on the shelves. But like I said, you definitely have to get there when the truck gets there. That's our review for the day. Really appreciate Sosa for coming on the podcast. He is a walking example of determination and perseverance, man. And I'm proud of everything that he's accomplished. It was great to hear his story. Now, make sure you guys go subscribe to us on our podcast platforms, on our YouTube platform. Rate us, leave reviews. We love to hear you guys' feedback. Go follow us on Twitter. Our handle is The PPU Podcast. And on Instagram, The Player's Perspective Podcast. That'll do it for this episode. See you guys next week. Thank you guys for tuning in. And that's the player's perspective.